Everyone dreams about living an uncommon life, but how we define that dream is very different for each of us. And for most, it's a lifelong pursuit. Welcome to the Uncommon Life Project Podcast. We're going to introduce you to people who are living that life or enjoying the journey to get there. We're going to also give you some tools, tricks, and tips for starting or accelerating your own efforts to live an uncommon life, a life worth celebrating and savoring. Please welcome your hosts, Brian Dewhurst and Philip Ramsey. Hello and welcome everybody to another episode of your favorite show, my favorite show, and it's going to be soon the new listener's favorite show, The Uncommon Life Project, where I am your host, Philip Ramsey. And I am Brian Dewhurst. Thanks for tuning in. We have an amazing show for you today. We are going to peel the layers off this onion. We are going to look behind the curtain because we have a real actuarial mathematician on the show. I cannot wait to get into it. Brian, give him us the bio and let's get him on the show. Yeah, so we have Ray Couchy with us from Penn Mutual Life Insurance Company. And Ray uh, graduated from the Wharton School of Business with an actuarial science. I'm assuming it's like a master's degree, um, but has basically been in the insurance world his entire adult life and the larger part of the last 20 years with Penn Mutual. And he's been uh, in the actuarial side and product development and now on the executive management team. So uh, I don't think there's anything that this guy is not going to know. So I'm pretty excited about it. The insurance world, I think, is confusing to a lot of people. And so one of the reasons we wanted to have Ray on is to kind of demystify the insurance business and um, and just talk about how stable it is and uh, and how important it is to our overall economy and financial planning. So with that, welcome to the show, Ray Couchy. Well, thank you, Philip. Thank you, Brian. It's a pleasure to be here. Absolutely. You know, it's fun uh, for me. Brian is more of the numbers guy in our business. Everyone will pretty much articulate that. Uh, but so I'm excited just to hear more about your story, how you got here. When you were little, did you always just think like, I want to be an actuarial science like, scientist? Like what, where were you at with that when you were younger? <laughs> how, well, I, how do you start that career path? Well, um, so initially what I want to do is you know, play center field for some major league baseball team. But uh, that <laughs> so it was quickly early in my uh, my teen years, that was not going to be uh, <laughs> a destination. So uh, I did go and meet with a guidance counselor in high school who uh, I consulted with. And I said, I have a, a strong math background, but I want to be able to apply it in a business sense. So uh, he went through, you know, the typical jobs that where the math and business would would combine. And the first two on the list were accountant and actuary. Mm. So I, I think I knew about the first one, didn't know anything about the second one. And it just turned out that my guidance counselor's son was an actuary. So I actually got a chance to, to speak to him. And I put that in the back of my mind. I went to a, a small college for a couple of years because I wasn't sure what I wanted to do with uh, a math degree, whether I wanted to be a teacher, but then I took the first actuarial exam. So to be an actuary, you have to pass a series of exams. And I passed the first one and decided that that was the, the path I wanted to take. I transferred into the, the Wharton School at Penn and continued to take exams and kind of went uh, on, in that direction. So that's how I got to where, uh, where we are today. Wow. Hey, what was your grades in, in school in math? Were they always good or were they kind of like, yeah, just no, they were all, they were always good. Oh my goodness. I don't know what else questions to ask. I, I'm you're at another level for me. So, 
That's awesome. That is so cool. You know, it's interesting. We talk a lot about in the Uncommon Wealth Partners, our business, of how you need to really capitalize on your giftings. And because it's a gifting to you and it's easy for you, it doesn't mean that it's easy for everybody. And so what would you say to the average listener out there that doesn't feel like their gifting is of value to anybody else? I think you have to find your way. Um, and eventually that you get reinforcement for the things that you do well. And you know, people that are close to you will bring that out and encourage you. And then you have the confidence then to, to give back or to share your gifting with, with others. Uh, and that's where I came in my own mind, why I wanted to be, started to be a teacher is that I had this knowledge and I wanted to be able to share it with others. And part of uh, being in an actuary uh, at an insurance company is you do work with a lot of non-actuaries and you, mm. you have to be able to explain some concepts in a way that uh, the listener can understand. And you have to take the position of how would I interpret it, what Ray's saying, if I didn't have the same depth of information. So you need to, I needed to figure out how to sit in their shoes right. and say, all right, how do I interpret what Ray is saying? So I needed to learn how to translate some fairly technical concepts into something that someone who hadn't gone through an actuarial curriculum would be able to absorb. And right. I think that's a skill that I've been fairly effective at because I, I have had to interact with many more non-actuaries in the last half of my career than I did in the first half. Because you're a center fielder. Everybody can relate to that. Everybody right. That's right. And you get, um, to, you get to run the outfield and, that's right. and, and the fly balls that are <laughs> just over the infield. That's right. For our listeners, let's define actuarial. Because I think some people are like, wait, who are we talking to here? Let's go there. It really is, a, you know, you're, you're applying, you know, some fairly high-end uh, mathematical principles to solve business problems, in particular risk management. So uh, actuaries at Penn Mutual are involved in developing products, managing enforced business, setting up the reserves that companies have to hold to pay claims, and doing uh, risk management uh, over an entire enterprise, uh, investment risk, mortality risk, mm. uh, compliance risk, you know, those types of things. So it, it really is applying that math to uh, evaluate contingent events. So virtually everything we deal with in the insurance world is a contingent event. So we're, we're paying a claim if somebody dies. We're paying a surrender benefit if somebody comes to us and says, I want, you know, I don't want my policy anymore. I want to take the cash value that's in that. Uh, I want to be able to convert my term policy to permanent coverage. All those are contingent events, and what actuaries do is they uh, assign, you know, a, a probability to those events, and then a what the ultimate cost or the uh, of that benefit is, and reflects that in either the pricing or the risk management effort, depending on which side of the house you're on from an actuary standpoint. Wow, perfect. And I I think the analogy we use, you know, with clients is that, you know, McDonald's has a cost to make a cheeseburger. And I think it's pretty tangible, you know, meat and a bun, ketchup and all that. But, you know, you guys are figuring out the cost to ensure people's lives in these contingent events. And it's actually very scientific. And it's been scientific for, you know, hundreds of years. 
Uh, yeah, and, I, I, and I, that's on, a good so. that's a good analogy. Um, so McDonald's, in your example, they know exactly what they made on that hamburger when they sell it because they know the as you said they know the costs to of all the ingredients, the labor to put it together, uh, everything that's involved in the process, and they can determine right then and there what they've made on that on that sale. Life insurance policy. You're not really going to know how much uh, surplus was contributed by that individual policy until the policy terminates, and you know whether it's by death, whether it's by lapse or the non-payment of premium. Somebody comes to us and asks for their money, or they person actually outlives their policy and they get to maturity, and we give them uh, the cash value at maturity. So a lot of those events are going to occur 20, 30, 50 years down the road. So you don't really know what you make until, you know, that whole block of business has come to a uh, some level of termination. So when we price a product, we, you know, we build models to analyze who's going to be, who's going to buy our product. So we identify a population of individuals by age, by possible rating class. Uh, what's the pattern of premiums they expect to pay? Are they going to pay every year? Are they going to pay once a single deposit? Are they going to pay 10 premiums? And how much death benefit are they going to buy? And then on top of that, you also incorporate, well, what policyholder behavior would, would we expect from this block? So what's their rate of mortality? How often will people lapse their policy? How often will people come to us and ask for uh, a surrender. And then we also have to incorporate our costs. So we have costs in acquiring the policy. So that's sales costs, underwriting the the expenses to issue a policy. And then what would we need to do to service it? You know, whether it's people costs, all the tools that we give the folks to manage their policy, all the letters we send them, uh, telling them about options that they have, those types of things. Sure. Taxes, which are you know federal and state, and then how much we expect to earn on the premiums we get uh, in the investment market, and then so we balance that all out with where we want to be competitively, and you know we run a couple of different models to get to a point where we're comfortable with the competitiveness of the product relative to its you know competitive benchmark and the amount of surplus that that block is expected to contribute. Wow, that's that's really interesting. And it's like for the layman's terms, this is usually my job to try to like boil this down. Uh, and since we're using baseball, wasn't that movie called Moneyball? You're it was the called person, Moneyball, yes. Yeah, you're the person that makes the A's like amazing because you're looking at statistics and data and then trying to work them into an algorithm to get the best bang for your buck or to make sure that it works for all parties. I would say that that is mostly true. And I would say it, it works for most parties because you know if you if your goal is to win games, uh, that's a way to do that. It has made baseball very unentertaining, unfortunately. Interesting. So from a fan standpoint, not everybody's <laughs> position is served. <laughs> sure. Appreciate that. Oh, that's and ask, great. And ask the Tampa Bay Rays fans about that. <laughs> <laughs> you touched on one thing, and that's underwriting, which is like the bane of life insurance of you know the peeing in the cup, and you got to draw the blood, and the nurse come out at your house, you know. 
you guys have recently rolled out what you call ACE, which is uh, accelerated underwriting. How is that going? Because basically you're using kind of like we, you know, the way we explain it to our clients and you can correct us if we're wrong, but you're kind of using, you know, big data in a way. So all these data points that are out there uh, and trying to use that as a way to predict, you know, mortality and some of the things you've shared about that go into, you know, pricing these products, you know, and trying to circumvent the the nurse coming out and drawing the blood and, and peeing in the cup. So can you just kind of share with our listeners maybe how you came to that decision and how it's going? Sure. So we. Uh, A stands for accelerated client experience. So it is the accelerated underwriting is a part of it, but it's really is meant to digitize our new business process and service process. So electronic application, uh, potential for accelerated underwriting, electronic delivery of, of policies, and then online, a client portal uh, that can be used by a client to do some you know, some basic service type things, but uh, Penn Mutual is a company that does all of its business through financial professionals. So uh, that is the conduit between Penn Mutual and and the end client and the end policyholder. But we've had the ACE, we've had that experience now since August of 2017. So we're, you know, into our fourth year. And as you said, it uh, allows for Certain cases uh, that are, you know, if you're under 65, face amounts under uh, 5 million or below, and, you know, meet some uh, the criteria that we're, we're using to uh, get it through there, you can get a rating without having to go through full underwriting. So think of it as like a triage method. So it's sort of a, a fast track if you hit some of these, you know, uh, algorithmic decision points and we don't need any additional information, uh, you can get a rating uh, within a day in some cases. Uh, and we do get uh, we do get information that the, uh, the applicant provides on their family history, uh, their prescriptions, that sort of thing. We do interact with third-party databases like uh, prescription databases, motor vehicle records, uh, the Medical Information Bureau for people that have might have applied for insurance before. Uh, we've also used um, uh, some information regarding credit attributes, not credit scores, but credit attributes, um, liens, bankruptcies, those types of things. Um, and we put all that together and determine whether somebody can, can we can render a decision at that point or whether we need more information. So. At the start of 2020, about 60% of our applications went through ACE. And about 60% of our applications that go through ACE uh, end up with a fluidless underwriting decision. Wow. Wow. As I sit here today, 85% of our applications go through uh, ACE, the electronic form. That's amazing. Uh, And the the reason for that is when the pandemic, commenced back in March, many jurisdictions viewed, you know, paramedical examiners, the folks that you talked about coming to your home and collecting uh, samples, uh, many jurisdictions viewed them as non-essential workers. So they were not able uh, to even go out and see people. And in the jurisdictions that uh, allowed them to do that, there were many many applicants who didn't want strangers coming into their house, even though they were 
outfitted like the the scene in Silkwood, <laughs> where you had a full, you know, full hazmat right. uh, suits. Uh, but they just at that time just didn't want a, any strangers coming into their house. So right. some of our financial professionals who were reluctant to use ACE uh, got interested in it in a hurry. It almost forced you to adapt. Yes, and I, I think that happened in you know not just with Penn Mutual, but a lot of right. companies in our industry. And uh, the industry has seen a greater increase in applications this year, and has set some year-over-year or month records uh, that you know hadn't been achieved before. So, obviously, the pandemic has put life insurance more in the front of mind for individuals because of the the thoughts about mortality and right. companies like Penn Mutual who got a little bit of a head start on it, but other companies have loosened up their fluid free underwriting limits. So sure. uh, it's made that process a lot easier across the industry. One thing that insurance companies are not known for is just how fast they move in technology. So <laughs> it's good and great job for adapting to that. Here's a question I have. You mentioned COVID-19, the pandemic. I would think the two things that people are not excited about insurance-wise for insurance companies are lower interest rates and higher than normal death benefits or death uh, rates. Can you speak to both of those things? Because both of those things are happening right now. Low interest rates and obviously COVID-19, the pandemic. How are those affecting the company, the industry, policies, and policyholders? Well, if you... The, if you remember what I said about how we price, uh, so we're talking about uh, paying for promises that are 20, 30, 50 years out. So uh, the money we earn on the premiums we bring in, uh, the interest earnings is a big component of our pricing. And low interest rates put pressure on insurance company financials because as you know, old, old assets roll over into new assets, those yields will will fall, and that'll put pressure on earnings because you know some of our older policies have higher guaranteed interest rates, you know four or five percent. Mm-hmm. So it does put some some pressure on uh, insurance company financials because that's a big component of of their pricing. On the the COVID nineteen side, uh, companies as part of their enterprise risk management, they do stress test their financials for pandemics. I mean, fortunately. We get them about once every hundred years, but you still look at it and see what will that ha- what will that affect in terms of your financials and your surplus. Now, up to this point, Penn Mutual has not had a significant number or amount of COVID nineteen deaths. We've had just over two hundred claims, total of eighteen million dollars. So, average size policy is about ninety thousand dollars. The average age of the COVID deaths was 82. Mm. And the average duration that a policy had been with us where we paid a COVID claim was 48 years. Wow. So these are folks that have been with us a long time, you know, who passed away uh, in uh, in the age group that, you know, you're typically seeing. Uh, but we have not had a significant amount of deaths as of yet. So we're, you know, obviously still monitoring monitoring that. And we report every every week on the number of claims that we get uh, normally. And then we we add a little more color around the COVID-19 deaths. Mm. Fascinating. 
Brian's just loving life right yeah, now. Yeah, like, I'm like like a hundred questions. I'm, I'm pulling like off, nerding I'm, out. Quick, quick question: What's your wife like, Ray? Like, does she just love it? Does she just like sit around the dinner table like, oh, Ray, you're just she so is the uh, as as you I'm sure you've heard it. Opposites attract. She is uh, very different than I am. Um, she's much more. Uh, she's very street smart. She's very outgoing. You know, makes friends with stones. I mean, she is. So you're telling Very me we'd be friends. Yes. She's uh, she actually works as a um, uh, she actually took a job earlier in this year as a events coordinator for a, a nonprofit uh, in Philadelphia. That's amazing. Uh, unfortunately, a lot of those events yeah shut are, down. are in person are in person events which yeah. have not happened. But right. she's been able to you know to still drive donations to this nonprofit. So uh, I think by sheer force of her personality. All right. Right. Okay, just checking. Just want to shout out to your wife. You know, <laughs> that's great. I want to dig into kind of the just policy types because I think this is another, you know, uh, I won't say misconception, but it's just it's confusing. I think to a lot of people. I mean, there's to us, there's three basic product types. You know, you have term insurance, you have true whole life insurance, and then you have, you know, kind of what we refer to as a hybrid policy of like permanent insurance or indexed universal life, uh, universal life or variable universal life. So can you kind of just shed light on that from Penn's perspective on those three product types? And uh, maybe we'll just kind of spitball from there. Sure. Uh, Well, let's start with with term insurance. So that's insurance that really just provides temporary coverage, uh, death benefit for a fixed period of time. At Penn Mutual, we offer 10, 15, 20, 30 year term. Uh, so term policies just provide a death benefit protection. Uh, there's no cash value. There's no loans. And in exchange for that, you have lower costs than permanent insurance. But uh, what we, type, we talk about at Penn Mutual, it's the equivalent of renting and not buying a home because you're, you're getting temporary coverage. You're, there's no equity in that policy. If you survive the 10, 15, 20, 30 years, you don't get anything. Uh, we don't have a return of premium term policy. So uh, you just get the pure death benefit. For uh, products like whole life and um, index universal life, let's say, those products are permanent coverage. So as long as the premiums are paid to keep the policy in force, the policy will last uh, either until age 121, which is the maturity age, or until the insured passes away. So the difference there is that you know, term insurance is, you know, cheaper, shorter term uh, coverage. Premiums on a permanent policy are levelized across the whole of life. So in theory, you pay more than the one-year mortality cost early on, and then that excess premium goes into the policy value where it grows with interest. And then later year premiums, which are levelized, become less than the mortality cost as the person ages. So essentially, you prepay some of your later year mortality, and then that those prepayments turn into you know cash value that you can access while you're alive. And the main difference between, say, indexed UL and whole life is how much uh, market volatility risk do you want to take on the growth in your cash value. Whole life's going to have a higher guarantee, but a lower upside. So the the volatility, the, the the different types of outcomes. There's a fewer number of outcomes there. 
for indexed UL, you've got a, a, a guaranteed floor, which is generally lower than it is for whole life, but you have higher upside, uh, which is capped. So you have a, a, a broader set of outcomes. So there's a little more volatility risk on the indexed UL compared to the whole life. Mm. And uh, I'll just jump on it. Universal life, uh, the pure guaranteed universal life is really uh, more like permanent term insurance. So effectively, it, it can carry a policy to age 121, but you're going to pay you know, a certain level of premium to guarantee that coverage. There's going to be very little cash value in it. So um, it's really a, a long-term death benefit play. Perfect. I appreciate awesome. you walking through that. Here's my question. My uncle, Dave Ramsey, which is really not my uncle, but I say it anyway, buy term and invest the difference. What would be your thoughts when I say that? My thoughts are that generally the, the part before the end gets done, <laughs> it's the part after the end that you can't necessarily count on. I, people don't I necessarily uh, invest the difference. They spend the difference. Right. And right. what we try to, what Penn Mutual has been doing over the last few years is to convey the notion that life insurance is more than just the death benefit. Uh, that you have the the cash value that you can access while you're alive. And then there are other riders, like a chronic illness rider, that you can access the death benefit if you become chronically ill, which is you know close to being long-term care, but it's not long-term care. But right. um, it has some of the same triggers as long-term care. Right. Sure. But that's our our thought. And um, I'll quote our, uh, our CEO. Uh, she made this comment when... If you take, uh, it's kind of the difference between uh, how people view their place in the world. Uh, if you're around my age, you know, in the you know mid fifties, to folks in their teens or twenties. So, our CEO, if you took her phone and you looked at her photos, there'd be pictures of other people. Mm. And so that's kind of the the thought that life insurance. And a lot for a lot of people has been about somebody else, not necessarily about them as the insured, because it's going to benefit uh, somebody else when they pass away. Sure. If you took our CEO's daughter's phone, most of the pictures are going to be of her. So you've got a, you know, kind of a generation that's thought about themselves as well as other people. And that's where I think permanent insurance has a place because it has aspects where you're you're benefiting others if you pass away, uh, you know your spouse, your kids, um, you know even your parents if you if you if you passed away prematurely, would benefit from that. But while you're alive, you have access if you're the owner of that policy to the cash value that's in it to um, utilize you know, it. to utilize it for any reason. Uh, right. It's it's your money. If you come to Penn Mutual with a for a policy loan, we don't ask you for a business plan or why, why, the, why are you going to, uh, what's the why are you gonna borrow money from your policy? It's your right. money. What's I the VIN number? That. No questions. I love that, right. um, that you went there with that, Ray. I, you know, we're, we do obviously, you know, full disclosure, I think with all of our content online, people know that we, we do a lot of whole life insurance business, uh, and we do it with you guys and we're, you know, proud partners with you. But one of the things that galvanized that for me early on when I first learned about all the different things you can do with life insurance, I I was with a broker dealer at the time at a previous firm and um, you know, got a trip to go to Disney, Disney World in, in Florida. And I'm down there by myself and 
I'm kind of just strolling around. And if you've been down there and you've, if you've been there, you know this, but there's a little movie theater that plays like a 10 minute movie about Walt Disney. And I can't even believe they say this in the movie, but they do. But the genesis of the theme park was he was taking his daughters on daddy daughter dates and he was bored. He didn't know what to do with them. That was back in California. And that was the actual genesis of the theme park. And he went to the bank and they, and they basically laughed at him like, you're crazy. And so the actual seed money he used to do a lot of what he started was from a whole life insurance policy. And I can't believe they even say that on the movie, but they do. And it was just like, I got chills when I heard that. And I, and I think the thing that we say to a lot of our clients, because, you know, our adage is, you know, you are your best asset and invest in yourself. And, and the stock market is great as, as a channel or avenue to build wealth, but there's a lot of other avenues, especially now, you know, and it's like, what, what was the return of, you know, Walt Disney's whole life insurance policy, you know, at the company level, or just the policy level. And then you look at what was the return of what he created, you know, infinite. And so I think that is why we're so, you know, proud to to partner with you guys and to partner with our clients in this aspect, because it's about it's about options and optionality. And you've kind of talked about that on the show about what are all these potential outcomes. And I think a lot of times people don't appreciate the potential outcome that they have, you know, betting on themselves and betting on their own creativity, you know, in addition to, you know, our economy or the global economy and the stock market and those types of things. So that's kind of my soapbox. I don't know if you have any further thoughts on that topic, but I just no, thought that's really important. No, I think I, I agree. And I, and we have, we have used the, that uh, fact about Walt Disney in, um, you know, in some of our marketing that, you know, that was, you know, what, helped him build the the empire that uh, Disney World is. And that's part of our rationale at Penn Mutual to have a broad product portfolio because we want to give you folks as financial professionals, as, as well as your clients, uh, a variety of choices because people have different needs, different wants, have different uh, feelings about how much risk they want to take. And we want to be able to offer as many tools to a financial professional so that they can position our products for the that fit the needs and the wants of that particular client. Because it's not, you know, you may run into somebody who just wants basic term coverage and that's that's all they want. They want to invest, they maybe do follow the buy term and invest the difference, and they are faithful to that. Uh, and then there are others who are like, I'd like it all, you know, I'd like to have my insurance in one package where I can grow cash, I can have coverage, I can have protection against disability, you know, all that into one uh, in one instrument. And I can feel comfortable at night that I have access to cash if I need it. Uh, my spouse has a death benefit if I pass away and I have protection, my insurance company, my insurance policy is protected if I become disabled mm -hmm. and, you know, we offer a product that can do all of those things. And I think that when you have the conversations with, with potential clients or, or real clients, uh, that sometimes is a surprise is that they, I didn't realize life insurance could do all that. Exactly. You know, one of the things I want to get into, and I know we kind of got to be careful because of proprietary information, but you know, one of the things that we talk about with our clients is the three-legged stool of just, I would say, the industry and the financial system. You know, you have banks, investment or brokerage firms, and then you have insurance companies. And, and not just necessarily life insurance companies, but like reinsurance companies. 
I used to work at, you know, Deloitte and Touche and Berkshire Hathaway was one of our clients. So I got to work at the National Indemnity Company, Geico Insurance Company. They have a lot of different insurance arms. So in general, in, in the insurance industry, speaking in general terms, not just specific to Penn Life or Penn Mutual, but um, can you talk like the insurance industry is such an important part of the overall financial system, especially in America, especially in England, Australia, you know, some of the more developed parts of the world. The insurance leg of that stool, if you will, is so critical to the other two components. I just would love your perspective on that um, for what you've seen in the industry and in your in your role within Penn Mutual. Well, I would say that you know the insurance industry is I believe the largest purchaser of corporate bonds. So we finance a lot of, you know, projects that companies outside of our industry invest in. So we, you know, we have, you know, holdings across a whole bunch of different sectors. Uh, so we keep making sure we tell the folks, the politicians in the States and in Washington, DC, that, you know, how important our industry is to, the American economy and what we do for it. And the fact that we serve, you know, 80 million households and we pay, you know, billions of dollars of benefits a year that, you know, are coming from, you know, from private insurance and not being paid for by government programs. So uh, that we try to reiterate that position very frequently when we're, we're talking to our uh, our friends in state capitals and and in Washington, uh, but you know, insurance companies also have uh, reinsurers. You mentioned them, but you know, that's the company that helps us insure some of our risks. So you know, every company has an amount of death benefit that they'll retain, and then anything in excess of that, they will buy insurance on uh, with a reinsurer, and will pay for that extra coverage. And then if the, you know, we'll pay premiums to the reinsurer while the person's alive. And when they pass away, then we'll collect the, uh, you know, that part of the death benefit. So from the reinsurer, but it's, uh, you know, it, it is an important part of our economy and, uh, you know, not just between the people that the industry employs, but it's also the, what it does for the other sectors of, of the American economy. Yeah. Because I think obviously the investment firms, the big banks, you know, it, it seems sexier, the returns, but also, you know, like 08, 09, Bear Stern collapses, Lehman Brothers collapses, a few others probably should have collapsed, you know, in hindsight. There was a lot of bailouts. And you didn't hear really, you know, beyond AIG, you didn't really hear a lot of uh, negative news, you know, on the insurance side. And it's kind of that old, you know, tortoise in the hare. Uh, you know, you guys are the the tortoise, but um, I just think the weight that you carry in the industry and the consistency that you bring, you know, one of the analogies that we use with people, and you kind of mentioned term versus whole life and renting and buying a home, is that you guys aren't building a home, you know, for 20 years, or if you go and, you know, find a home builder, you're not building that to the last 20 years, you you're, want that thing to last 100 years. And that's the way you guys are building your permanent policies, your whole life policies. Can you kind of just talk about that? And you've mentioned kind of going to age 121, which most people are like, oh man, I'll never live that long. Can you kind of shed light on how you, you know, your philosophy and how you construct the actual policies themselves and the view that you have corporately? Yeah, let me, uh, I do want to go back to your, your 2008, 2009. AIG 
the issues with AIG had nothing to do with American General, the insurance company. They were they remained strong, as did the uh, the rest of our industry because of how well capitalized we are. So that's the you know back to your tortoise and hare uh, analogy that we are in for the long term, and particularly mutual companies because you know the the master that we serve are our policyholders. So that those are folks that buy our stuff is who we work for. Uh, so you, know, you have a lot of mutual companies that have been around for a long time. I and mean, Penn Mutual is 173 years old. Um, and we've been you know, thinking about how do we manage the company in the long term to provide the, the best value for the surplus that we accumulate on behalf of our policyholders. So that's been a, that's how we you know, what we do when we get up in the morning as a, an executive team and as leadership at Penn Mutual is how do we, what are we going to do today to help uh, provide value to our policyholders? How we, you know, how we build the products is really, you know, I kind of touched on that before is that we're, um, you know, looking at these long-term models and, you know, managing them uh, after we build them uh, to the extent that we can through you know, through dividends, through returning experience back to the policyholders, through managing the the credited rates on a, a universal life policy or the caps on an indexed UL policy, uh, to make sure that you know we're able to continue to deliver value and reflect the current uh, the, the current economic environment mm. uh, as we as we manage those those policies. So, but we're also, as you've seen in working with Whole Life, we're also big proponents of having guarantees. And that's, I think, right. where uh, co- where clients have gotten more comfortable with uh, our products and financial professionals as well, is that we have, we do put a, a lot of weight on guarantees. And people come to us because uh, they want more certainty. And we're able mm-hmm. to give them that through guaranteed cash values on, on whole life. Uh, guaranteed bonuses on indexed UL, guaranteed premiums on term and whole life, and guaranteed UL. So that's been a big, a big rallying point for our marketing has been to say, you know, we're we're the company that offers guarantees. Sure. Right. You keep talking about one twenty one uh, age. What's the highest number you've ever heard of? <laughs> uh, well, this this is so. This is um, so one. We have statutory mortality tables that are used to determine reserves and uh, and certain premiums, and the most recent version of that table goes out to 121. Uh, I think you know, you've seen people, you know, more people living past age 100 mm-hmm. uh, than uh, we've ever seen with all the you know, the medical improvements, the improvements in people's health, particularly around. Uh, use of tobacco, uh, that's, you know, extended life spans for many people. So we want to make sure that, you know, we're covering folks well beyond the the age that, think, that they think they're going to live. But uh, we have a number of folks that, that really do think they're going to live to 121. But I think the oldest person in recorded history was 118. Mm. And uh, I think she was from France and drank a lot of red wine. So, <laughs> That's what uh, her secret was. Yes. Well, I think it, I, and there's something to be said for that. So, mm-hmm. yeah, this is super fascinating. I, uh, you know, is there, as you know, you've been in this industry for a long time 
and I don't think you have any intention of slowing down. What are you kind of most excited about um, as it relates to the industry, maybe in, you know, uh, personal finance, financial planning and, and Penn Mutual's role in that? Well, I think we're seeing some of that today through the digitization of our processes. You know, insurance companies have really ramped up the, and the pandemic, I think, has has certainly accentuated it, is being able to service their clients in a in a digital way, you know, through the you know in electronic delivery of of policies of statements, uh, but this is by no means a way to you know we're still working with financial professionals. There at Penn Mutual, no client becomes a policyholder without being brought to us by a financial professional. We are not a direct to consumer company, so we we work closely with financial professionals because they're they're providing advice and we believe that the advice that you folks provide is more important than it's ever been and I think there's a, a great opportunity for financial professionals to work with with clients to help plan for their futures and to use life insurance in ways that people you know just don't think of and uh, but I think the you know the movement toward making the underwriting process smoother because uh, if you ask and you know, I know you guys have had clients that uh, the biggest impediments to buying life insurance is the the process it takes too long and it's too invasive so that was our thought with ACE is that we could, if we can get a product out there or a process out there that got us the same relatively the same protective value from an underwriting standpoint and could shave, you know, 20 days off the process, 25 days, uh, that's huge. Uh, that gets more people interested in buying uh, coverage because they have a great experience and they can share that experience with other clients. Uh, you folks see it, you know, you see it a lot more than because you're dealing with multiple clients. You can talk about that that process. We had many financial professionals go through uh, the ACE process on their own lives so they could actually talk about how, what the experience was like before they went, had a, a client go through that. So uh, that's been the, the big thing I think is going to be being able to, to use big data responsibly. So, you know, we have to be able to, the information we get has to be justifiable from an underwriting standpoint and uh, being able to, to target individuals through marketing programs uh, to get people that, you know, we can determine are, are most interested in buying life insurance, drive those leads to folks like yourselves, and then have you folks work with them to def define a plan that's meets their needs and their wants. One of the biggest things that we get, especially with whole life is, you know, once they fully understand it, obviously, you know, we can, you know, we call it overfunding with kind of a paid up additions rider to kind of accelerate, you know, the cash on cash growth, break even point from, you know, what you've put into what it's worth. Some of those things, I don't want to get too technical, but, you know, a lot of times people are like, this seems too good to be true, uh, you know, and we're like, it's really not. It's actually some of the longest term planning you can do. It's just, you know, a lot of other people haven't shown you the different ways to fund a policy or design a policy. But then their next question is invariably like, well, what if the government shuts this down? You know, what if the government changes the tax treatment of this? 
Can you walk our listeners through, you know, how the tax protection or the tax deferral, you know, protection of life insurance policy cash value uh, started and how it's been protected over time and, and how you see that moving forward? I, the history is, is really around, you know, that life insurance has a couple of, I say tax, not preferences, but they're, 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 they're taxed appropriately. Death benefits are received tax-free by the beneficiary. Uh, in individual cases, and then uh, the growth on the cash value is is tax gross tax deferred. So you only pay tax when the cash value exceeds the the premiums you've put in to the policy. So the reason for that is is that you know the government wanted life insurance to have a particular place and have uh, folks buy life insurance to protect their families and to, um, again, to avoid having uh, folks rely on, on government assistance to, to cover what happened if a, if a premature death or if you know, somebody needed, needed access to funds. So uh, that, that's really what drove the, the way life insurance has been taxed historically. Um, and that was from like a long, long time ago. Yes, that's, that's recent. Yes, that's, they were, that's over 100 years. Yeah, right. So, you know, the industry does take, you know, it does get brought up a fair amount about more of the taxation of the the growth in the cash as opposed to the the death benefit piece, because that's, I think people feel that that's a, that's a worthy way to to address taxation on on death benefits for for individually owned policies. Uh, But, you know, I, I think you still have growth. I mean, it's, you don't, you know, not invest in uh, in stocks with dividends because they're ta- you know because they're taxed. Uh, I don't right. think it it changes. I don't think it changes the way uh, people should view it. You know, it, it, it right now it has uh, a, a special uh, arrangement. But even if it became taxed like a savings account, I still think it would be. Uh, it's still valuable. It still gives you access to money that. Uh, you can you can have to do other things and still provide protection in one in one item. Yeah, it's still doing multiple things at the same time. Because you can still find on a tax after tax basis, you can still find other investments that might be better than whole life, but it sure. doesn't have the guarantees. It's got more volatility. So it all comes down to what's the risk tolerance of the client? What are they willing right. to? Uh, you know, some folks come to us and say. I'm going to put my life insurance here and I'm going to do my investing over here. So I'm going to buy either term or guaranteed UL with you. And I'm going to put my uh, at-risk assets with, you know, an asset management firm. Others say, I'd like to have all that in one, in one spot. Sure. This is like years of questions pent up being able to be asked. So thank you for (laughs) your candor being with us today. It's like, you know, I think, you know, we do business with all these companies and, you know, we're saying some things obviously to our clients and representing some things. So it's refreshing to have you come on here and say the same things, you know, and, and back up what we're saying. And we do want to do good business. You want to do good business. We're here to help people. And, and it's, you know, largely, I think, not to say confusing, it's just not what people deal with on a daily basis. So I think to get kind of this bird's eye view from, you know, an executive of a company like Penn Mutual is like super helpful. And you folks know way better than I do that, you know, these are, this is a tough subject to talk to people about is, right. you know, planning yeah. for 
uh, a possible death. Uh, and, and that uh, sometimes, as you know, derails the conversation, but the more you have with them, the more you want, that's why we've, we've tried to get folks, at least from Penn Mutual side, to look at this as not just a death benefit product, that it has other features that you can use while you're alive. Yeah. And I think, you know, especially with like whole life or permanent insurance, you know, the, the other analogy we use is the death benefit is the hall pass to kind of, you know, borrow against the cash value and to take some risk, you know, starting a business or buying a second home that, you know, is a rental property or, you know, doing some of these more entrepreneurial things because you still have that coverage wrapped in, you're still owed, you know, dividends on the money that's borrowed on some respect and, and you have a, maybe a more flexible repayment schedule than if you take that money from a bank. And so there, there are just a lot of neat things you can do. And I think Philip has a great, um, you know, thing that we talk about with clients is, you know, people want a crystal ball in terms of financial planning. And if you had a crystal ball, would you use it? And obviously the, in, the answer is invariably yes. And that's really what a whole life policy is, you know, with a company like Penn or, you know, there's obviously other strong uh, mutual insurance companies. Um, but largely that, that is about as close as you can get in our business to a crystal ball is, you know, you, th- these are contractual agreements that are bound by the word guarantee. And we largely can't use that term in any other, you know, product or, or investment that we're talking to people about. And so it is, it's incredibly important uh, as a foundational piece to a financial plan. So. Right. I would also say too, just the death benefit alone is something that you can account account to your estate. And if you have a term insurance, you just can't do that because uh, who knows when you're going to graduate on us. And so, uh, yeah, we do a lot of talking about just the accumulation of cash value because talking about living is a lot better than talking about dying. Well, <laughs> so, yeah, I think I think you can't minimize the talking about dying, but you, you it's a it's a package. It's it's right. Here's what this particular instrument can do for you. And, right. you know, we talked about we use the analogy in the past of a Swiss army knife. So you could build something, a product that has the ability to protect you. If you die prematurely, if you get disabled, if you become chronically ill, and if you, you know, if you live and you want to access money, say for a supplemental retirement, it has that too. Right. I think that's really good. And I think it's important to talk to an advisor that knows how to use this for a comprehensive plan. It's not just one thing. Here's one product. There you go. It's no, it's, it's part of a, a comprehensive plan to be able to address, is this a good idea or is it not? Or is a term and invested difference a good idea? Who knows? But if you talk to somebody that you know, like, and trust, have a little bit of background of kind of how they practice, it is nice to have, hey, should I invest in another company or, or how does this for it? Or I want to start this company whatever you're thinking about, it's always nice to just have some more eyeballs on the situation. So you have different perspectives. Ray, thank you so much for just your insight, your wisdom, and your candor. Uh, You have been listening to the Uncommon Life Project. I've been your host, Philip Ramsey. And I am Brian Dewhurst. Tune in next time. Until then, be uncommon. Thanks. Thanks, everybody. That's all for this episode of the Uncommon Life Project. Brought to you by Uncommon Wealth Partners. Be sure to visit UncommonWealth.com to learn more about our services. Don't miss an episode as we introduce you to inspiring people who are actively pursuing an uncommon life.